Well, good morning, everybody. If we haven't met, I'm Shay Ryanga. I'm blessed to be one of the pastors here. We are starting a new sermon series today, which is exciting. Before we get into that, though, it is summer. And so a few words about summer, the unofficial kickoff, I guess, was probably last week, Memorial Day, kind of school's out, all that. And we've got, you'll see this theme, and if you've been over at the sanctuary or outside into the atrium, they're selling t-shirts that say, I'm here, and our theme for the whole summer is be here. So if, I, you know, our schedules get a lot of whack in the summer, and whether you're here or far away on vacation, wherever you are, I hope you share your experiences with us, some of your pictures. We're just encouraging all of us to be present and engaged wherever we are throughout this summer. And if you happen to be around Mansfield, please be here with us. And VBC um, still could use some volunteers, be present with us here. Um, I'm excited that in July, we're going to have a special uh, sermon series just for the well in July. Pastor Mike's going to be in the house in the sanctuary some this summer. So it's going to be fun. We've got a lot going on this summer. And it won't be a sermon series, a long extended sermon series like Summer of Joy was last year, um, but it'll just be our theme for the summer that we want to just be mindful to be present and engaged wherever we are. But we're starting a five-week series today in the book of Ephesians. So all throughout the month of June, we're going to be in Ephesians. And for any of you that subscribe to the First 15 devotional, if you don't know what that is, it's a little devotional that comes in your inbox. For, if, if you don't get it, want to get it, there's a box. If you go to the main website, there's a little box that says First 15 right under the big banner image on the website. There's a box that says First 15. You can plug in your email address and get a devotional when you wake up every morning It'll be in your inbox. And it's designed for your first few minutes of the day to give to God in, in scripture and study of scripture and a reflection and in prayer. And so all throughout June, we're gonna go through the whole book of Ephesians in the first 15. So on Sunday, we're just gonna cover some of the five key thematic passages in Ephesians. But but with uh, the first 15, we'll go through the whole book of Ephesians. And Pastor David and I are writing those right alongside this sermon series for the month of June. So I want you to be mindful of that and subscribe if you haven't subscribed yet to the first 15. Now, contextually, the book of Ephesians, um, it's, it's, it's not so much a book. We call it a book and that it's in the Bible. So it's a book of the Bible like any book of the Bible, but it's a letter. And it's unique in some ways because like many of you wrote letters to some graduates, whether someone graduated from high school or college, you're addressing a specific person, a specific important event, and your words are pertaining to that time. There's some specificity when it comes to letters. And many of Paul's letters are written that way too. They're written to people for a very specific issue, or there's issues or problems that Paul's trying to address, or he's trying to encourage um, some growth in a particular area. The book of Ephesians is a little different than that, and Paul's general. He takes that step back, and I know Amanda several weeks ago talked about having that panoramic view and big picture view, and that's why Ephesians is, is important for us to read frequently, maybe once a year, because Paul's stepping back, and it's just this big picture. He talks a lot of times at the cosmic level of what Christ has done for us and the way we've been reconciled to God and the supremacy 
supremacy of Christ in all things. And we'll see the phrase in Christ all throughout Ephesians more so than all of Paul's other letters. But we don't really have a specific issue that he's addressing. It's a general letter to the church in Ephesus, which at this time is the second most important city. You name the category, economic importance, religious importance. Um, uh, it's, it's important for trade because of its location on the coast. So it's got a big population, over 200,000 people in the city of Ephesus. The temple of Artemis was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It's, it's an important and significant city. And Paul writes this letter to the church in Ephesus who he has a relationship with that we can read about if you want to read more about Paul's engagement specifically with the church in Acts chapter 19 talks about Paul in Ephesus with the church there. But again, it's more general, big picture. So if you've grown up in church most of your life, these are themes you've heard over and over and over again. And so there's the danger of the familiar in, in Ephesians and in some of the passages. We're gonna be in chapter two, verses one through nine. And we're gonna talk about our identity and what Christ does for us, the way in which he reconciles us to God and what that means for us and to understand our identity in Christ. So we're gonna be in Ephesians chapter two, verses one to nine, and all throughout Ephesians, there's the danger of the familiar. And I was very cognizant of that in preparing for this week. There's, there's one word that I just got hung up on uh, because it's just one of those words we hear over and over and over again every week in every sermon at church and every prayer almost. And, it's, and it's, uh, we'll, we'll say a little bit more about that here in a second as we start the first few verses. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. So remember that you were dead once. <laughs> or were you? I kind of hung up on this word, Paul's, Paul's usage of the word, we were dead in our sins and we were dead in our transgressions. And all throughout the gospels and all throughout Paul's letters, we understand that there's part of us, our, our self has to die. And for me, I just, I just felt like God was saying, I need to kind of be patient and sit and, and work on digesting the meaning of that. <laughs> because I think it's, it's been hard for me to understand and digest what Paul means here because I've been insulated most of my life. If you've grown up in the church, especially to the church in the United States of America, we're, we're insulated from the hardness and the harshness of reality compared to many of our brothers and sisters that live other places in the world who, whose daily experience is a little different, who see all too well some of the horrors and the hardness and the harshness of reality and we're reminded all too well that there's, there's part of us that needs to die. Um, it's, I, don't, I don't feel like we're all that bad. And there's this growing message, I think, in our culture that's confusing us about the human condition and, and who we are, that we're good, that, that our default level, we're, we're good. 
I mean, if we need to change, I might need to change my diet or I might need to figure out how to spend more time with my family, but, but I'm not as bad as, as you know, what, what I see, so I'm desensitized by, by death because of what I see, the shows that we watch, our news cycle, and, and I have to admit, I'm a little bit ashamed that I'm desensitized to, to death and the news of it unless unless there's someone close to me. The sting, the heaviness, I don't experience unless it's close and close proximity. And, and as long as death is at a distance, we're, there's a danger of us not living into and hearing the gospel and what Paul is saying here. And, and I'm sure I haven't experienced and been up close and personal to death as much as some of y'all have. But, but I remember when I was in college, like where I really felt it. And it really was that sting that was just hard to experience. And I remember when I was in college, and many of you have heard this story of, of my relationship with my pastor in college, Kyle Lake. And I remember going to the viewing. And, and when I was three to six years old, this happened a lot in my life where there was just a lot of funerals. I just remember from three to six years old, a lot of grandparents, great-grandparents, and as a pastor, even to this day, I don't love to do open casket funerals. Now, I'm not saying I won't and I haven't. And so I'm not saying any of that, but I just, it's not my preference. And, and part of that is like when I was in college, I wasn't prepared. I'd been to a lot of funerals as a kid. And, you know, I don't, you know, you don't remember much about those experiences when you're that age. And then when, when I was in college and I was going to the viewing with my buddy Harris Bechtel, I remember looking at Kyle and it just messed me up. I wasn't prepared. The makeup was excessive. The skin was so thin to his face and he just, he did not look like himself at all. And it just was horrifying to me. It just freaked me out, scared me. And I couldn't stare long. I, had to, I just had to kind of move on and get out of there. And, and I'm ashamed almost to say that it, it, that's the experience that I think of when, when I think about death and, and the close encounter with it. And I think what's so difficult about understanding what the gospel and what Paul is trying to communicate here is we're insulated and we keep death at a distance. We don't, we don't, we don't want to deal with it. We don't want to deal with its implications, what it might mean for us when Paul says that we have to die. We're dead in our sins. We're dead in our transgressions. And we have to lay down our life and we have to give up our life. We, we want to keep all that at bay. We want something a little easier. We don't think we're that bad. We don't think that kind of extreme measure is needed. And we can get confused about our human condition. And that the reality is, is that we are prone we are prone to always put ourselves first, and that's a problem. Paul isn't using the word dead here lightly. Before Christ became the ruler of our life, we were driven by ourselves, Paul said, and we followed. We followed the world and the ruler of the air. 
And there's an intrinsic connection. Paul's making a really important point again for us in our society, in our world, that there's a connection between, an intrinsic connection between the ways of the world and the spirit at work in the world. <laughs> that isn't the Holy Spirit, that's Satan, that's the accuser that gets mixed up in our principalities and powers and causes us to see each other as enemies, saying there's an intrinsic connection between the ways of the world and the spirit that lives in the world. And greater is the Holy Spirit living inside of you than this spirit that is living in the world. And Paul is, is, is helping us understand that everything, everything in life is spiritual, Everything is spiritual. And we don't often like to think of the world of politics or the realm of history or current events as spiritual realities. And so the challenge in all of this is the kind of discernment that's needed to discern what is propelling certain agendas and certain issues forward in our life. Which spirit is at work pushing something forward with this connection? We have to be careful not to accept or reject in the settings that we're in what is, what is being pushed forward if, if the spirit at work is not the Holy Spirit. And see, we're not aware we don't have eyes to see or ears to hear if this death doesn't take place in us because we don't have discernment if we don't die to ourselves. And we have to really grasp that and understand what it means if we're gonna have the kind of discernment to understand what spirit is at work in our context and in our place. Paul says all of us, all of us are in the same boat when it comes to this necessity of needing to die to self. All of us are in the same boat. None of us are exempt. And some of us may still be there struggling there, but all of us have been in this place. And we're not dead. We don't need to die because God sort of messed up in creation. But, but we need to die because of the way in which we betrayed the freedom that he's given us and the way in which we've chosen our self-interest over the self-interest of others and the way in which we've chosen our self-interest over God's beautiful and perfect will for our lives. That Paul wants us to understand, we, we have to understand how undeserving we are if we're gonna understand and embrace to, to the extent that we even have the capacity to, how wide and how deep and how vast is God's love for us. And, and so it's hard to read some of these passages of scripture because Paul will say, you deserve wrath. We deserve God's wrath. We deserve to be condemned. We deserve to be punished. That's the truth of our human condition. And we have to understand that about ourselves, that we are prone to lie, we are prone to cheat, we are prone to steal, and heaven forbid, even kill for our own self-interest. We have to understand the degree to which we are undeserving if we're gonna understand how good God's love is. But because of his great love for us, that's the big turn in this passage, verses one to three, but God, right? But 
This seems bleak. This seems hopeless. We can't, no matter what we do, the way in which we fail, the way in which we're corruptible and we fall short and we get distracted and feel low, all those things, like we can't measure up, we can't do it, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. We were deserving of wrath, but because of God's love and mercy, we are redeemed. We were deserving to forever to return to the dust and the dirt from which we came. But because of God's love and mercy, he has chosen us to be heirs of his promises. We were deserving of a death sentence, but because of God's love and mercy for us, we are given everlasting life. And this good news is why we need to die. And dying is painful, giving up our lives, handing over the keys of our life to someone else. We want something less than that. We want something that is less sacrificial. We want something less than everything. Giving up our thoughts and our decisions, giving up and handing over the keys of our life to God is what it means to die, is what it means to die. And we give up, we don't give down. We give up to the one who raises us up. We don't give down to the one, to the spirit that lives in the world, that lives among us and gets in the midst of our political parties and our arguments and our homes and our neighborhoods and causes division and dissension and causes us to hate one another. We don't give down. We don't give the devil his due. We give up to the one who raises us up, who's made us heirs according to the promise. We give up to the one who takes the keys that we surrender and opens up a new future for us, a future that we cannot make for ourselves. We don't give down, we give up because of God's love for us who not only comes in the form of Jesus and dies for us but raises us up and gives us a seat next to him in heaven. He raises us up and prepares a seat for us next to him in the heavenly realms, in the heavenly places so that we might show and be the vessels and the vehicles and the people, this great body, that we might be the sign and the light for the world of the incomparable riches of God's grace, that we might show the world the kindness of Christ. And before we can do that, before, we can, before the world can see that in us, we have, to, we have to die. 
We have to know who we are and who we belong to. We have to understand and be firm in our identity first before we can be an agent, before we can be a vehicle to show the incomparable riches of God's grace and God's mercy for the world. We have to understand that we've got to die and really grasp with that, that in giving, giving up everything to God is what it means and nothing less than that. And I don't know about you, but that's hard for me to digest. That's hard for me to comprehend. And I need to remind myself of that because I want an easier way out. I want an easier way out. And there's nothing that we can do to earn this seat. It is given for us. I'm reminded of a time that I went ice fishing. For those of you that don't know what ice fishing is, I envy you. Um, I... On this particular occasion, I was nine or 10 years old. I was nine or 10 years old. And I say on this particular occasion because I unfortunately, dreadfully was, have been ice fishing many, many times in my life. Many of you know I'm from a colder place. I'm from Northern Indiana. And why people do this, I don't know. And I don't, I didn't like to fish as a kid uh, I love to fish now, but as a kid, I did not enjoy it. And on this particular occasion, I went with Papaw, my dad, and my little brother, who all loved to fish. And many of you may have some experience camping, and you know that camping has evolved over the years. Camping has gone from this to that. <laughs> and... I'm ashamed to say that I have intimate knowledge that ice fishing has gone through a similar evolution. And uh, we didn't get to, on this particular occasion, nor any time in my life, did we get to ice fish like this. Look how happy this guy is. And notice he's indoors. So there's even covers over the hole in the ice. Got a big TV there and everything. You can watch sports, do that. Probably got a mini kitchen in there that we can't see. That looks like fun. I could get behind that ice fishing. This, this is what it was like for me. <laughs> no mountains in northern Indiana, by the way. So geographically misplaced, the image. But that's, that's, that's what it felt like. Child abuse, maybe? I don't know. I'm just kidding. I wore many, 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 many layers of clothes. I was fine. I turned out okay. <laughs> I thought you were going to be at 930. You can talk to Lindsay if you want to challenge that claim. Um, so anyway, back to ice fishing. So we walk out there and we've got, uh, I mean, it, it was like the, when dinosaurs roamed the earth. We had a hand crank, hand tools. And so we're, we're all taking turns doing this multiple times to create many holes in the ice on Oliver Lake. Sometimes we stayed in the channel by Mamma and Papa's house. This particular time we were in the channel. We were going through making holes in the ice. And sometimes you don't know how thick the ice is. And some spots it's really, really thick. I mean, people drive vehicles out there and all that stuff. So once we hand crank all the holes in the ice, you know, you pick your spot and you put your line down and then you just wait and wait in the cold to catch fish. And of course, I got bored really quick. Everyone else is enjoying it. It doesn't look like they are, but they are because they're, they're ice fishing. And I'm, I get distracted, so I'm sliding on the ice. I'm trying to do other things. And I get bored with that. So I'm going around 
And there's all these holes everywhere. And as they're moving from hole to hole, when they catch fish, they put the fish around the hole. It sort of looks like this. You'll see fish, fish around a hole. And I get bored and I just start like getting down low and looking at and staring at the little fishy eyes. And uh, I don't know if I get freaked out by them or if I feel bad because they're naked. They're just laying there, naked fish. And I'm wearing layers and layers of clothes and I'm nine years old and have, I'm clueless. And uh, so I, I just start, I start kicking them in the hole. <laughs> so I'm just going around and around and around. And then I go to another hole and do the same thing. And uh, little did I know, I'm kicking lunch back into the water. Thankfully, I, Papa saw me in the nick of time before I could kick all the fish into the water. And I have never seen Papa mad before nor after. I've never actually seen him angry and mad, like visibly he turned colors. And my dad would tell you he hasn't seen Papa this mad since him and, and my Uncle Mac got caught eating the neighbor's watermelons. And Papal was mad and took me aside and explained some things to me about how we eat what we catch and now we're all going to have to wait because of me and what I did and everybody back at the house is going to have to wait because of what I did. And I mean, Mamma and Papa, they spoiled us grandkids. This was freaking me out because it was like to go to Mamma and Papa's house was the best time. We got treats. We got spoiled with, with all the wrong things to eat, our favorite meals. I got to watch Matlock and Walker, Texas Ranger at Mamma and Papa's house. And Chuck Norris did not approve of my actions. There was no Walker, Texas Ranger for me that day. And I just was so ashamed because I didn't mean to do it. I wasn't trying to be mischievous or rebellious. I was bored. I didn't think about what I was doing. I, and I just felt so guilty and ashamed by what I had done, by causing all of this. Now everyone has to wait on me and I didn't want that attention. And I just felt the guilt the whole time And I, as I got to stay out there and fish with everybody and catch the fish to replace the ones I kicked in till, till we finally got enough that Papa could felt like he had enough to fillet clean and then fry up for us for lunch. And, and when we go in and get cleaned off and I, and I take, you know, the warm clothes off, I'm staying in the other room in the den. That was sort of my safe hiding place was Papa's den with all the books. And I'm like, I'm, I mean, I, I know I'm not going to be able to have lunch. I'm, I, I didn't know what to think, but I'm not going out there and I'm definitely not invited out there and I don't deserve to be out there. And um, as I'm waiting, just, just waiting for everybody to eat and hoping this day ends, Papa says, come on, Shabert. You know, and I walk out and there's an empty chair, my chair. We all have, you know, everybody at family gatherings, sometimes you have your chair. And I had my chair that may as well had my name engraved on it, empty. And he said, come on. He invited me to the table. And so I sat down, even in the midst of what I had done. There was still a chair there for me. I still belonged at the table. And the love of God is something else.
that he raises us up and there's a seat. There's a seat with your name on it. And I just want to challenge you to find that seat, to claim that seat for your life because it's your seat. There's a seat for you right next to God in heaven and you don't deserve it. but it's still your seat. Will you please pray with me? Holy God, I'm sorry. Sorry for the way in which that I I betray your love and I I take it for granted And I make a mess of the grace and mercy that you give me. And God, for us, just forgive us. Forgive us for the way in which we won't step out. For the way in which we're just stuck and scared and We just carry guilt and shame with us, Lord. Take it from us. You died to take that away from us. So for all of us who are holding on to any shame, any guilt, Lord, we receive your forgiveness. We thank you for the way in which you love us, your great love that we don't deserve and still you give it. So help us give Give up the keys to our life to you. Help us surrender. Remind us every day that we are yours, that we are your son, that we are your daughter. And help us keep growing in your grace. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.